And our scripture reading today is from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 13. For by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. For as in one body, we have many members, and all members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith. In service, in our serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who contributes in liberality, he who gives with zeal, he who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Never flag in zeal. Be aglow with the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. Thank you. My thanks to Ann Finney as well for serving as our liturgist this morning and helping with communion. Uh, as you notice, we're doing more uh, unison prayers. The theme this week is all about communion, community, connection, and so uh, we wanted to involve you in, in the service. And so my thanks to Ann and to Jim Schlosser, who will help us with communion. Uh, let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as uh, many of you know, I spent most of my ministry working with college students, and I'm always impressed with how Christian students nurture their faith alongside the rigors of an academic college experience. One group followed a very specific set of practices, which they wrote down, and so I share them with you. Number one, an intention to yield one's life to God completely for God's glory and to become like Jesus Christ. Number two, rising at 4 or 5 a.m. to pray. Number three, fasting two days a week until 3 p.m. Number four, meeting regularly to discuss scripture and other Christian texts. Number five, accountability at those regular meetings. Number six, weekly reception of the Eucharist or communion. Number seven, reading and meditating on scripture daily. Number eight, acting in compassion for the poor, prisoners, and the elderly. And number nine, pursue, pursuing simple living. Now I have to confess, this is not a group of students at Allegheny College or anywhere else that I have worked. This was a small group that John and Charles Wesley mentored when they were students at Oxford University in the 1720s. Their spiritual practices were so regimented that other students called them names. 
the Bible Moths, the Holy Club, and yes, the Methodists. These are our ancestors in the faith, and their spiritual disciplines form the basis of Methodism today. Some of their rules dictated private devotion, prayer, fasting, reading scripture, but others were social or communal, meeting to discuss scripture, holding each other accountable for those meetings, taking part in communion, showing mercy to others. John Wesley was all about connection, and yes, he spelled it with an X, if you notice the sermon title. Connection to God, to other Christians, and to the world. And that sense of connection has shaped our church to this day. After Oxford, John and Charles became Anglican priests. Charles, you might know, was a prolific hymn writer. All the hymns that we're singing today were penned by him. John led the Renewal Movement, which was actually a movement within the Church of England. They organized people into small groups for weekly prayer, fellowship, and Bible study. John gathered his preachers from this movement for what he called conferences, discussions that covered both theology but also the leadership of the movement. And to this day, Methodists meet annually in regional conferences. For us, it's the Western Pennsylvania Annual Conference. And we meet every four years unless there's a pandemic in a larger jurisdictional conference to elect bishops, and in a centralized general conference. And that is the body that sets policy and practice for United Methodists around the world. Methodism is a connectional church. Unlike congregational denominations such as Baptists or the United Church of Christ, in which local congregations have much more autonomy. Methodists are linked more closely together, which has advantages and disadvantages. One of the benefits is that by pooling our resources, we can do far more together than individual congregations could. We do a huge amount of good through UMCOR, the United Methodist Committee on Relief, that is known throughout the world for our outreach. We were partners in a global effort that cut malaria deaths by more than half in sub-Saharan Africa. But as a connectional church, we are also subject to policies that apply to all United Methodists and our inability to find a common understanding of the place of LGBTQ persons has prompted a group to break off and form a new denomination, the Global Methodist Church. Now, Pastor Sarah has been updating us uh, periodically about some of these changes, and we're going to look more specifically at the history of this fracture and what it means for us during our adult Sunday school class um, this fall. So we'll be starting that after church on, um, I believe we start mid-September. So any of you are welcome to join us for those sessions. We also plan to have some open Q&A sessions, just so you know what, what all this means for us as a local church. Our church governance shares much with our national government. Both have representative legislative bodies, which at the moment are very polarized. But the Methodist connection runs counter to American individualism. A recent poll found that 48% of mainline Protestant Christians consider their relationship with Jesus to be private. Only 8% view it as part of their public life. Now, the separation of church and state may be responsible for driving religion into the private sphere, but our country also prizes personal freedoms and individual rights. We don't want people telling us what we have to do. We don't like being accountable for others, to others for our choices. The phrase, my body, my choice, has been used by activists on the left and the right 
some to advocate for abortion rights, others to oppose vaccine mandates. In both cases, I think we fail to consider the impact that individual choices have on other people. We are bound to other people in ways we don't completely understand. The poet Gwendolyn Brooks spoke to our human connection when she wrote, we are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. Christianity is a distinctly communal religion, and it has been since its earliest days. Jesus was part of a community. Even he needed help in ministering to others. He chose 12 apostles, but he had many other disciples, both men and women, who were part of his movement. As Trinitarians, we believe that even God is not solitary, but is three persons mystically joined as one God. God is communal, relational, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul uses the image of the human body to describe our connection in the book of 1 Corinthians and in Romans 12, which Anne read for us this morning. He claims that we have different roles but are part of one body. Now, we often hear the church described as the body of Christ, but how often do we really think about what that means? Like body parts, we have different roles, but we have to work together. Just as our head, shoulders, knees, and toes cannot work independently of each other, so Christians work together in ministry to each other and to the world. All of our various gifts are used in ministry here at Stone Church. I thought, for example, we would just think about all the people who help steward or care for our financial gifts. We come each morning or each month with our gifts. Our ushers collect the offering and carry it forward for the pastor to bless. We have counters each week who add up these offerings and anything else has come in during the week. Our financial secretary, Darlene, records and deposits the money. Sue, the treasurer, pays bills and disperses funds with guidance from our finance committee and the church trustees. That's a whole lot of people working together to make sure that our gifts are used for God's glory. And there are whole groups of people here also working with worship, music, education, and every aspect of our life together. We are all part of the body of Christ in ministry here in Meadville and around the world. The Romans passage provides some rules for working together. There's a whole genre of rule books out there for life. Um, you might have heard everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten or I learned from Snoopy or something like that. There's one called Life's Little Instructions that came out a few years ago, and it includes such advice as carry jumper cables in your car. Overtip breakfast waitresses. Return borrowed vehicles with a gas tank full. Say thank you a lot. Say please a lot. Many of these boil down to just treating people with kindness and respect, which is often sadly missing these days. Or as Jesus taught us, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Paul offers these instructions in Romans. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Persevere in prayer. 
contribute to the needs of the saints, and pursue hospitality to strangers. Now, John Wesley, as we saw from his college days, also believed in rules. He developed a set of general rules for the early Methodist movement. The language is a little archaic and complicated, so I'm going to share the version that um, Bishop Reuben Job uh, wrote about in recent years. It's three. Number one, do no harm. Number two, do good. And number three, stay in love with God. Pretty basic, huh? Following rules like this strengthens us as individuals and as the body of Christ. Living in community or as a connectional church requires compromise, but it provides enormous rewards. The sacraments of baptism and communion remind us that we are part of a community. When Pastor Sarah baptized six little ones last month, they became part of the body of Christ. The sacrament of baptism has many meanings, but it started as the initiation ritual for new converts in the early Christian movement. This was the rite that marked their entry into the Christian community. Those children that we baptized are part of us now, and we all bear responsibility for helping them grow in faith. Likewise, the sacrament of the Eucharist is about our common life, as indicated by its more familiar name, communion. In a few minutes, we'll share a bite of bread and a sip of juice that mystically become for us the body and blood of Christ, a sacramental meal that links us to every Christian who has ever partaken of it. Dorothy Day, a founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, made the connection between community and communion uh, in these words from her autobiography, the, lone long, the Long Loneliness, so I will close with her words. We cannot love God unless we love each other, and to love we must know each other. We know God in the breaking of bread, and we know each other in the breaking of bread, and we are not alone anymore. Here is a banquet and life is a banquet. Even with the crust, there is companionship. We have all known the long loneliness, and we have learned that the only solution is love, and that love comes with community. Thanks be to God. Amen.